Live from the booth at Pops, it's time for the Riverdale Review! Welcome back, pals, to another episode of the Riverdale Review. I'm your host, Pete and Bessie, joined as always by my pal in podcasting, Mr. Kale Ward. All right, guys, hang on. I just gotta take my shirt off here for the fan service. Ah. <laughs> uh, I mean... You do bear uh, somewhat of a resemblance to Archie, but I don't. I don't know that your your physique is quite as striking. Oh, I mean, he's got like a six pack. Who doesn't love like a keg, right? Like, there's more to just more to go point. around. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, joining us here in the booth today is our guest Gabby Von Welly from the Nerd League. I am not taking my shirt off. <laughs> Good. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean, Pete? I didn't. I, yeah, I was going to say that actually kind of maybe came off a little offensive. I didn't mean it to come off that way. I mean, Great. like, I'm being moralistic about what happened in this episode of Riverdale. Then I'm not offended. <laughs> I think it's good to keep things professional. Good. See, thank you. I'm glad you appreciate where I'm coming from. I mean, I just um, got so, here. So real quick, uh, for the listeners at home, why don't you just uh, give, you know, the elevator pitch for the Nerd League, you know, what you guys are all about and where they can find you on the web. All right. So... The Nerd League is basically an online community slash rant platform where I and a couple of other nerds get very passionate and angry about a lot of things, and we just rant. And you can find us at the Nerd League um, on Instagram and Twitter. And then the only one that's different is Facebook because it's Nerd League Online for some reason. Um, but that's that. It's like the early 2000s web, like Optimum Online. Yeah. You're locking it down. Do you guys have the nerdleague.net too, or? We don't. We just have the nerdleague.com, which is like our actual. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that's cool. Do we have the .net for Comics Pals? I think we do. I think I was able to snap it up for like $250. Okay. So I was like. I got real worried there for a second. I don't know that I've done the redirect, so it might go to a dead link, though. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, so uh, definitely go check that stuff out. Um, you guys uh, do your own, or I, I guess it's just you now, right, who does writing about Riverdale, right? Yeah, it's it's been mostly me. The only thing we did kind of as a group was the Riverdale character ranking. And I still have a lot of tweens that get mad at me for it. So it's great. Um, That's good. But yeah, most of it, I started doing like the recaps for the season and then um, kind of stopped. But yeah, it's really just me yeah. who's still watching the show. Yeah, and uh, listeners of our show are also familiar with uh, a good friend of yours, Mr. Matt Murphy from the Longbox Podcast, who is uh, a part of your merry band of nerds. For some reason, you let him contribute to your website. Yeah, I mean, we love Matt. Matt's great. Probably the same reason we do. Yeah, I don't know. He's a filthy animal, but I love him. I know. I mean, like, you go on the Longbox Podcast and you just don't know what's going to happen, but it's fun all the same. That's that's part of the fun of it, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when we call him in for rankings and stuff, we're like, Jesus, like, we have to tone down his comments half the time. And most of the time, my response is like, I have to respond twice, because then I'll have to, like, address whatever Matt just said, because it's so, you know, offensive. <laughs> <It's> outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I met Matt uh, as as an editor for him at another website a, f a few years ago, and he was always one of my favorite writers to edit. Um, but I was always upset about how much of him I had to take off the page. <laughs> it's like it's hysterical, but sometimes it's like if you don't know Matt, like you know, it just comes off as offensive or rude, and it's just it's just Matt. Yeah, if you don't realize that he's uh, somewhat of a character, you can definitely, uh, I think, take him take him the wrong way. But uh, but we're yeah. We're my fans. my girlfriend uh, does not approve. I'll make a 
I'll, <laughs> I'll say something about, you know, the long box and how I've been listening to it. Or, you know, maybe uh, talk about, like, having them on the comics piles. And she's like, oh, God. <laughs> she thinks they're corrupting you. I, well, uh, she knows better than that. I'm I'm a, I'm doing a fine job of that all on my own, but yeah, she does not approve. <laughs> well, uh, as much as I would like it to be, this is not a podcast about our problematic fave, Matt Murphy. So um, this is the Riverdale Review. Welcome to uh, the Pals Network's weekly Riverdale podcast, where we get together to talk about Riverdale and um, all the things we love and hate about it. Uh, this is so- a podcast about that problematic fave. Exactly. So uh, we're going to start the show off the way we always do by, um, you know, jumping in with our spoiler-free reactions in case you haven't checked out the episode yet. Um, So, Gabby, since you're our guest, why don't you start us off? All right. So, spoiler-free. I think that this episode was a hot mess. And (laughs) I don't know. It's weird because for me, um, last season, I felt like the mystery at the beginning, I was very into it. And then I wasn't pleased with how it ended. I felt like it was too obvious, okay. um, which we can talk about more in the spoiler section. But I just feel like because of that reason, I'm very skeptical about the mystery in this season. And if you want to like, talk about your, you can give spoilers for the first season if you want, if they're here, you know, this is like the eighth episode in the second season. Don't, go ahead. You can spoil anything that's happened in past episodes. If you want to make a comparison here, that's okay. Well, yeah, it's just, um, I felt like at the end of season one, like, at the beginning, they had all, like, these red herrings going on, and then they started being too in the nose about the fact that um, it was his dad that killed him, and I just felt like, literally, when the season finale came up, I was like, okay, there's no way it's Clifford Blossom, because they've hinted at it too much, like, it would be, like, the worst if it was him right now, and then it was, and I just felt like, for that reason, it's also... It's literally the same thing that happens in Twin Peaks, and it just really upsets me. But um, <laughs> I just, I just feel like I have low expectations for this murder mystery thing they've got going on. And at the beginning, I was very um, disheartened. Like it just seemed clear that this wasn't gonna go anywhere. And then for a couple of episodes, I felt like it was getting better. And then in this episode, I felt like we finally got to the point where you could tell if this was getting better or not. And I feel like, I don't know how I feel about it now. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a solid, uh, that's a solid spoiler-free free reaction. Do you have any other thoughts you want to share before we move on? Kale, what about you? Uh, for me, this, this episode is like the definition of trashy teen drama. Like, I, like. <laughs> yeah, very much. <laughs> Friend of the show, uh, Olivia, you know, she was on our second second or third episode of this season. She uh, she came out on Facebook and said uh, this was the one episode that she just absolutely hated. Um, and I, I don't feel that strongly about it, but I, I do think uh, given what we had last week, we really needed something strong to get back into the narrative. And this one just did not do it. This one was just, it felt, I don't know, to me, it, it felt like it didn't focus on the murder at all. And that's what I'm here for. So, I don't know. I don't know that I can say much more without spoiling anything, but how many times do I have to see Archie naked in an episode? Good point, good point. So that part I can't agree with y'all. No, <laughs> um, no yeah, I, I would say I echo a lot of your sentiments, Kale. I think I think this is... I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that I hated the episode, but um, I, I definitely, <laughs> to borrow from Gabby's words, it was a hot yeah. mess. 
I think coming from the last episode, which I enjoyed, there's like <laughs> one of the things that we talk about on uh, on this show about Riverdale is how generally it does a good job of like, or not necessarily that it does a good job. It often feels like a Netflix show, mm. right? Like it picks up directly where the previous one left off. And the last episode started with this really weird, like phoned in framing device that really never got built on in any meaningful way. And our whole thing last week was, okay, that's, that was really strange unless this next episode feeds into it. And it didn't like, we didn't, get any closer to seeing any of these three murders that were promised yeah, or like it, it like, sort of did but not in the way but like yeah, not really but not in the way that it said it was going to and like it sort of just felt it, it almost felt like a waste of time and it's like i wouldn't even go that far because like there like there are meaningful story implications like there's a lot of fallout from this episode but like it it just feels so out of place from the last episode and it feels like it's all building but, like, I wasn't very invested in what was happening. It's because the last episode was so, like, stylized, too, I feel. Because they had the whole four different or three different point of views. And then they all met up at one point, And then and yeah. I, I feel like it just, yeah, it built up too much. And then this one was also built up. Um, and But I do have to say that I enjoy when they kind of bring in the parents to the kids' world. Um, because I feel like that's like when Riverdale is at, a, at its best, like the teen drama, when it's just Archie and friends, it's too teenage-y, like it's too adolescent, I feel. But when the parents come in, you kind of start picking up a little bit more of, oh, okay, like these kids are this way or they have these issues because their parents are really yeah. messed up humans. And uh, I don't know, like I find FP and Alice to be so interesting. Um, yeah. And we got some fun developments there this episode. Yeah, we did. And I, I don't know. I just, th- those parts I enjoyed. Like, I definitely enjoyed having FP and Alice scenes in this one. And not so much Mayor McCoy, because I don't really like her much, so. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Yeah. I'm glad we, she, she um, was too prominent in the last episode. I'm glad she kind of took a step down. Yeah, and um, I think I think that's probably a good place to transition over to our spoiler full discussion. So, uh, if you haven't checked out episode, or I guess chapter 21, House of the Devil, um, now's your chance to bounce out. And we'll see you next week. Uh, if you don't care about spoilers, or you're in for the whole ride, let's jump into it. So, because this episode was so so all over the place, like, I always kind of make an effort to create a through line for us, but, like, I'm just kind of like, let's have a free-for-all here, because this one was a mess, and I don't want to do a play-by-play, and I have six pages of color-coded notes. So, where do you, where do you guys want to start? So, in the beginning, uh, in Jughead's narration, he talks about, uh, he talks about how... Edgar Allan Poe. Well, he talks about how <laughs> death is wandering around Riverdale and how Archie and Veronica are just, they're all about the carnal lust and, and Archie becomes a, a god of life. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, he gets a little much with Gross. his narrations. <laughs> yeah. This is, and it's funny because I feel like we're always like, we're kind of lukewarm on the Jughead narration. Like sometimes it works, but this was one where I was kind of like, it's like, you're writing about your, like, your best friend having sex, man. Like, chill out a little bit. <laughs> I think it's because they kind of lock themselves into that formula where it, it always starts with the Jughead narration, but then they also want... It, like, doesn't this season, though. Because, like, last episode, we got that weird-ass framing device, and it had been an episode or two, I think, since we had had a Jughead narration even before that. 
feel like I don't even notice that. I feel like I just take it for granted that, that he's happening. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I just feel like because of that reason, sometimes the things he says, like, you don't necessarily want Jughead to say them, but because they already decided that Jughead's the person, like, if there's a narration, he's the one who makes it. To be fair, I don't know who I would want to say that Archie is a, a viral, robust young man. Um, I think you're projecting some of your feelings about KJ Appa onto listen, Jughead's narration. I don't know that he used the word no, he viral. Didn't, but that's definitely <laughs> what he was saying. <laughs> He said they became the opposite of death, man. That's life. That's living. That's that's working to create life, my friend. I wrote that actually in my notes. I was like, baby. Yep. <laughs> Pregnancy plot. But speaking what? of KJ Appa naked, like, I just, I don't understand why, like, they're in his room, right? Like, at his house at the very beginning. And then all of a sudden, they're just, like, in front of this fireplace at where I can only assume is, like, veronica's house or like the hotel yeah yeah they they said it was at veronica's place yeah but i was just like what kind of transition like i don't know it just looked too fancy like they were just at his place and then they were like in front of this thing that looked like a log cabin in the middle of nowhere i don't know <laughs> like they're, I, seen I think, to, they're just so highly sensual sometimes and they don't fit like the place where yeah. they were at when it started but i don't know yeah because it was like i i get what you're saying because it was like the transition between like his like very teenager bedroom to like in the um garage and like he's playing guitar and she's got his shirt on and then it's like okay now all of a sudden we're like naked on a rug in front of a fire yeah and she always has her pearls on but just a classic just the whole classic it's classic she's always always has her pearls on Mm. even in the rain when her hair what sort of what sort of woman (laughs) would she be without her pearls or no, in the shower. Remember the shower scene where you're like, really? You don't even take the pearls off the shower? Yeah, I was listening to that episode where you guys were talking about that. And, oh, my God, I'm so, I'm so mad at that scene. Like, just, like, <laughs> like what? Like, like, if your dad's at the hospital, like, about to die, this is not the time. Like, listen, hey, Veronica, I don't want to have sex right now. <laughs> Like I get it that like she, I get it that she said that she my, doesn't know how to deal with grieving people, but really, that's the best thing you could come up with. Yeah, well, we saw how well she dealt with emotions this episode overall. Um, I mean, I guess that's that's probably a good transition to talk about Varchi, which like Jesus Christ, I, like so I wrote in my 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 notes. I was like, they might be going at it like rabbits, but their couple names sucks. Yeah, Varchi yeah. is terrible. I mean, it's just Varchi. Bughead is so good. I think. Yeah, as like a as like a term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't like it at first, but I really came around on Bughead like as a term. And like Varchi just sounds horrible. Yeah. Like it's it sounds like a monster. Like, yeah, I don't even know. Like I was gonna say like an illness or something, but no, I really don't even know what it sounds like. Like it sounds like a like a bird. Like I'm thinking like vulture. You know, like when I hear Varchi, like I don't know, like some kind of like Dungeons and Dragons play on a fucking vulture that's what i see not about it exactly definitely not a couple uh, but varchi complicated um i loved hermione's face when veronica was basically just going on a stream of consciousness about how she doesn't know why she can't say i love you back or whatever and then she's like yeah i don't feel like i've ever heard you and daddy say that and then she's like oh like that's why because you guys it's like oh Fuck, my parents' marriage is fucked up and I've been destroyed by it. <laughs> and then Hermione's face was like, why do you insist on reminding me that my life is a joke? You know? 
Yeah. Yeah, it, this season they have just gone from like being super tight to just mortal enemies. Just like Hermione hates Veronica. Every time Veronica tries to act like they're friends again or whatever, like not necessarily because she like has forgiven her mom, but she just acts like nothing has happened for a hot second. Immediately, like something like that happens, and then Hermione's like, "Why do I try? Why do I live in this house with these people?" Yeah, have a daughter. They said, "I'll enjoy the time." They said, <laughs> "It'll be a, it, she'll be your best friend for life." They said. Yeah. I mean, they just also, I don't know what their expectations were when they're also running like all this shady business out of their house, and yeah, yeah, right. It's like you had to know she was going to find out and ask questions eventually. You know, like I know. And then when, when they when they get like that letter supposedly because again we didn't see that letter either um, of the like from the black hood or whatever and then um, they're like worried about Veronica so they just go like oh yeah we wouldn't mind seeing more of Archie because you know like he's buff and whatever so <laughs> he's he's brawny and devoted to you and I was like oh that's a glowing review all right like amazing and then that didn't even last an episode so so much for that so i don't know who they're calling now but yeah right um so yeah let's let's rewind right so in that steamy fire scene like archie says i love you right and that kind of is the beginning of the end for them so that was um i was kind of like surprised by how much she froze up by that you know like i i feel like their relationship has been like be like we've been shown this whole season that it's so stable and the fact that he was like i love you and then it's like oh it's over it's like wow really all right like i i I don't know it seemed a little like hasty for me yeah um and i think that the the thing with riverdale and both of their current ships or whatever is that they have become a little bit too overexposed like they've given us everything for both um, Varchi and Bughead and it got to a point where I think most people were getting tired of both things and maybe it was hasty because maybe they didn't plan to break them up so early on maybe they thought they could go on with it for a little longer but from a writing standpoint I get the feeling that they had just done that trope too much and they needed to break it up and it just happened like in this episode they completely destroyed both of, of these relationships it just felt so sloppy yeah. like yeah. I because when we got to that last scene where it's like they both break up at the same time, I was like, I, I didn't feel that coming, like, at all. And not in terms of, like, that I was, like, shocked by it or anything, but that I was like, we haven't earned this. Like, this moment feels inauthentic, you know? And, like, that's not a thing I would accuse them of usually doing with the big moments, as it were. That's how I felt this whole episode. Like, a lot of the moments in this episode felt unearned. Yeah. And that's why, like, I think you said, like, it's, like, bad teen drama, like, personified is, like, yeah, like, this episode just feels like, well, we need to set up all these things to do the rest of the stuff we want to do. So... Yep. Yeah, basically. And plus, they have so many episodes left, so there was really no reason for them to rush through this. Yeah, like, right. This could have been two separate episodes. But also, like, if they wanted to break up Bughead, I think that they should have just left it at that first time that they broke up because that was more natural. And it would have made more sense that, say, they tried to get back together, but then they couldn't reconcile the fact that, you know, it hasn't been addressed at all that Jughead made out with Tony for the five hot seconds that he wasn't dating Betty. And um, then also, like, the fact that Betty kept all these these things from him could have also 
you know, kind of wreck the relationship. So I don't know. I feel like if you were going to do it this way, you might as well have just ridden the first, the first wave that they tried doing. We're like, oh, okay. Like, I, I understand that you were like, you did this because the black hood was um, blackmailing you. But, you know, we're not going to get back together anyways. I don't know. I feel like they just kept them together for two more episodes. Threw in this whole FP's getting out of jail thing. She does this weird serpent dance. I have a lot of feelings about the Mad World rendition oh, they did. Oh boy, oh boy. I yeah, caramba. Yeah, I, I, Do you watch Mr. Robot? I don't. Because Mr. Robot last season did this amazing scene where one of the characters sings like also a, a karaoke version of a Tears for Fear song, but it's um Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Oh, I love that song. Yeah, and like the, I feel like it's either a really soft piano in the background or there's no no music at all like it's just her singing and it's like a very like cracked up voice and you're getting kind of like the resolution of everything like everything's crashing down as she sings the song and it's such a powerful and good scene and i just felt like this was like oh we're also gonna do a tears for fear song but it's gonna be mad world and these people are gonna sing it and um veronica's just gonna run off the stage and then we're gonna get a serpent dance from dark betty because why not just and then Alice is yeah. just in the crowd. I saw I saw a tweet that was like that it was that uh you know that uh excuse me? That get you know that gift the Yeah, yeah. I mean uh, that was Jughead's face. He was like, What the f is happening? Yeah, and even when he talks about it, he's like he's like, Why would you that, do that? That like, moment when your girlfriend strips down to her underwear and does a, a strip tease at your dad's retirement party. At your dad's retirement party? <laughs> like what the f and she's like what, sixteen? Like, what the fuck, Riverdale? Her mom in the crowd, like, don't take your mom to the party that you're going to do a striptease at, like, at the bare minimum. It just, it felt so out of character. Yeah, because it wasn't even full-fledged, like, Dark Betty. It was like a no, wink like, at Dark Betty, much, but it was still Betty. Yeah, it's Betty, like, you know, being, you know, wanting to take a walk on the wild side, as it were, but it's like, yeah. Why's like, your mom got to be there for that? Like, Just, or like, this is just not the appropriate venue for this. And then Alice freaks out about things much more. And then in this, like, for this episode, she was just like, this happens. And she's like, Elizabeth, we're going home. Like, are you kidding? Like, if, like, if Alice oh, would have no. actually reacted oh, no, to that. Elizabeth. Yeah, she would have, like, fucking, I don't know, like, just set the place on fire or something. Like, you know, like, I feel like this is really big in comparison to other things that she's freaked out about at a much greater degree. Um, and the fact that the silence was broken by FP, like, walking into the crowd, the crowd, like, clapping at his son's girlfriend who's underage and just did this thing. That was weird, but I want to say, I, I do feel like that was, uh, like, it was supposed to be a cutting the tension thing, because he does just, he's like, here's a jacket, please get off the stage. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think he was, like, I don't, I don't think that was supposed to be weird, like. I don't think so either, but it's just, like, for us watching it, it's like, my God, girl, like, like, what made you decide to do this and end up in this situation? Like, why do I have to watch this right now? Yeah, it's just like, how did we get here? Like, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's like, obviously, this show, like, fan service is a part of the show. Like, it's a CW teen drama. But, like, man, this was a long walk for a short drink of fan service. And just, like, it was so weird and uncomfortable and, like, not anything good at all like no part of it was it didn't serve the narrative and it was so uncomfortable that like i hope no one enjoyed it because i sure didn't like and there was also the part where she was talking to tony about what to do to kind of 
become serpent adjacent or whatever. Um, yeah. And then Tony's like <laughs> saying how, you know, the patriarchy and all this stuff and how it's really sexist that she has to do this. I'm like, Betty's supposed to be the champion of like, you know, going against she, the patriarchy. She should have been right there with that. Yeah. She's like, no, no, I definitely want to know like what it is. And then she's just like, let's do this at FP's retirement party, but then wasn't a retirement party because why the hell would it be a retirement party? You know, it was also weird. It was weird how, like, I know that Archie and Veronica were having their issue with, you know, um, the whole L word and everything, but why? Oh, I love that show. Lesbians? <laughs> Not that. <laughs> Not that one. Um, it's, just, it's just like that's how they yeah, kept. Oh, L word. That's how they Veronica's kept saying it's like that. Right? Like I said the L word, so I don't know. It's like why is this so? I don't know. Like I feel like they act beyond their years for a bunch of stuff, and then for this, it was the L word. It's like okay, yeah. guys. No, like and yeah, and like that's that's the whole problem with this episode is like, and I don't, I don't know. Like I honestly want to do a little research. I want to see who wrote it and everything because like. I wonder how many other episodes they've done because it, it feels so inconsistent. And that's like not a problem I've ever felt about Riverdale. I've like, I've never looked at a character's actions and been like, this makes no sense. Why are you doing this? I feel like you I know? felt that way. I have. I feel like, like you, I, I, I'd like to give, I'd like you to give an example just because I feel like most of the time, even when they do something that I'm like, why would you do that? I can justify it with like, they're a dumb kid. You know, like, they're a teenager in a situation they shouldn't be in, and they're putting themselves at risk or doing something stupid, but it never feels like it makes absolutely no sense for who they are, you know? Like, this was just, there were so many character actions where I was just like, this makes no sense for this character in this moment to behave this way. Right. For me, it was, I mean, I think that a really clear-cut moment was that I'm a weirdo bit, the Jughead. (laughs) I think... I mean, if you Google Jughead Jones is the best, the first thing that comes up is an article I wrote about it with a bunch of gifts and just me being a complete fangirl of Jughead. And this was right before that episode happened. And after that episode, like, and maybe like a little before, I just felt like they lost the thread of Jughead to like because they wanted to place him narratively somewhere else so instead of kind of building the character up to that i felt like they just decided that now he was going to throw temper tantrums instead of being like i don't know at the beginning he was kind of the most realistic out of all of them and then all of a sudden yeah he was just like really caught up in his own drama and it didn't make sense because like Mm -hmm. if you think about it he's the one who's like homeless and all this stuff so like sees life for what it really is but then all of a sudden reverts to being like as if he would have been like a spoiled kid that was now mad at life, which isn't the case for him. Um, and I felt like they started getting him back in the season to at least make like to at least make it more believable. Like, OK, like he had this phase, but now he's back to being like Jughead, but with these like altered like um these like altered traits because he went through this. But sure. like sometimes they lose him anyways. And I'm like. Archie, I think it's the only one that I would say that has been, like, consistent throughout, even though he was a little basic at the beginning. He's, like, he was, like, that basic kid that then kind of grew into, you know, understanding how, like, how life really is and that bad things happen and kind of maturing in his way through. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Yeah, so I don't know. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I fully agree with um with what you're saying about Jug because I think – I think you're right that there have definitely been times where they've lost the thread of what makes him an appealing character. Um, but I, I, 
it's it's a thing of like all of the dumb childish things that he does like i i do come back to the thing of like well they're 16 like they're kids you know and like I think a lot of times, like, they act really maturely, and we comment on that, you know? And, I like, maybe that's, like, a little unrealistic. Like, we applaud them for acting maturely in some of the, you know, situations that they're put in. But, like, when they do act immaturely, I don't necessarily, like, find that to be um, unbelievable, you know? Because they, this is a show about kids being put in really extreme situations. Like you said, he was homeless. His dad was, like, put in jail, you know? Like, he's going through, like, a time of crisis when his life is already turbulent and, like, fucked up. So I don't I don't know that it doesn't make sense for him to, like, lash out and act like a spoiled kid. Yeah, I guess I can agree with that, too. But, I mean, definitely in this episode, it was worse. Like, every single character, I just didn't know what was happening. But, like, I just feel like because things like that happen, that they they fluctuate in maturity levels and stuff. Like, I already expected for there to be, like, discrepancies with, like, who these characters were 20 minutes ago to who they are now or how they're acting. But, yeah, yeah. this one definitely just blew it out of the park. Like, Yeah, yeah, and I, that, I think, is, this is the worst offender of it, for sure. Like, without question. Like, I, I think this is easily the weakest episode of the show so far. Well, outside of the, the Grundy stuff. Oh, God. Uh, so the writers for this episode are the creator, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. What? Yeah. Really? And Yolanda Lawrence, Dude. who also wrote the episode with the, uh, the, the football player sex, uh, book. What the yeah. fuck? Wow. So they, they just dropped the ball. Cause those are, I mean, like, that's like, that's a great yeah. episode. And I, and I, you know, the creator is, you know, like, obviously he's been, heavily involved in Riverdale from the start. And he's also, you know, done chilling tales of Sabrina and everything. So we know he can so write. I, I kind of like, I think I want to place the blame for this one on Yolanda. And I guess like that sort of makes sense for me because despite like the, 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 the good, the good ending of, of that episode, the, you know, the, the one where they find the, the, the sex book and, and Ethel is there and, um, and dark, it's like dark a side Betty. Story. Yeah. Um, while that one does yeah. end well, the theme of that episode is also some trashy, like, CW, like, sex teen drama stuff, and that's sort of where this one goes. That's fair, and, and like, Dark Betty's one of the only, like, weird, unanswered threads we have in Riverdale, and that's another of her works, so maybe that is the case. Yeah. I don't know, though. This is, like, I, it's just a miss, you know? And, like, they can't all be winners, but, like, this episode's particularly bad in multiple ways. And, and it's now it's like, going to have ramifications for the rest of the season. Yeah, which I, I don't think is bad, actually. I think the place it ends us is going to be interesting for storytelling reasons, but I don't, I don't like how we yeah. got here. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like, I yeah. think that from their point of view, it's really just serving the narrative, even if it was at the expense of producing, like, a bad episode. So I don't think that they're really going to be like, oh, yeah, like our writing sucked in this one. They're probably just focused on getting to the end point that they want for the season. Yeah. And I don't know. I just feel like with so many episodes left, I don't like it doesn't make sense. If it were a 13 episode season as we had before, then I get if they're rushing a little bit. Yeah. But this one has more episodes. So just don't don't try to accomplish so much in one season if you can't do it, especially if you just got more episodes like just. I don't know. And, like, not even in accomplished much in one season, in one episode, you know? Like, don't, I don't, I don't feel like it makes sense to break up both of these couples in one episode. 
Especially when, like, it didn't feel like either of them were working to a breakup until these, like, random event, like, this one thing happens, and that's it. You know? And it's like, I don't know, dude. Like, it, it just feels so forced. Like, I think, to, to your point, it feels like it's serving the narrative, but not on a, on a micro level this time around. What they were thinking about was that last scene, which, weirdly, although I didn't like how we got there... I was kind of glad we did, which is strange coming from a person who used to ship Bughead really hard. It's just when they have that moment when they're both, you know, looking at each other like Betty and Archie, and then Jughead's narrating how his ex-girlfriend is getting with his best friend or something, and that's, like, not supposed to be yeah. weird either. Um, I just felt like, because the, the show always hinted that, like, that was going to happen. Like, eventually yeah. these, these couples were going to disappear and we're going to go back to the... Archie and Betty thing. But I think that with everything else in the show being so erratic right now with the murder mysteries that kind of don't really make sense and like all the parents doing their weird things on the side, in a weird way, I feel like coming back to the original like Archie Betty thing would ground the show and would also give us a rest from the Varchi and the Bughead thing that's been overexposed and just done too much at this point. Yeah. I, 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 real quick, I, I want to respond to that, but I do want to take an opportunity real, real quick to just say, <laughs> hashtag Hale was right. Uh, he called this shit the beginning of last, or season, or whatever, like, forever Here's ago. Here's the thing, I, I am mortified that you think my being right, which happens every goddamn episode of this show, you're gonna roll your eyes and play a Blair, uh, Blair horn? Are you kidding me right now? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm rolling my eyes at you now because I was trying to put your victory up on a podium, and you would, you would find a way to just be a little shit about it. So you know what? Forget it. I don't hey, even care. I hey, don't even Petey care baby. Everybody knows. Everybody knows Kale's right. <laughs> Dang all everybody knows. Anyway, to respond to what you were saying, yeah, I, I kind of think you're right. I do think that breaking new ground with, even if it's just with this one thing, right, of Archie and Betty maybe getting together and having to navigate the waters of that, um, that'll be new territory that we haven't explored ever on the show. And it'll be interesting and I think familiar. And I think that could definitely be good. Um, the one thing, though, is like, to your point earlier um, about the whole thing with Bughead, I... I totally agree with you that they either should have let their first breakup be the breakup because it was like more, it was more well executed and it, it felt like a, an earned moment, right? And this time around, it just feels kind of rushed. And if this is the last time they're ever together, that's a shame. And if it isn't the last time they're ever together, then it's kind of like, okay, like, I don't know that I'm going to even, it, they're going to have to work to make me want that again. And, like, that is a problem. And I I really think that they probably should have just kept them together for a while longer and made them break up for some other reason down the line or actually explored the storyline that they set up of, like, Penny threatening her. You know, of, like, having her get hurt in some way or something like that and, uh, and have that be the oh shit moment we've been waiting for with Jug and the Serpents, right? Like, there are so many other ways they could have played the drama set up with Betty and Jug, rather than to just cut it short to establish something new. Which, even though I am excited about where that's going, it, it, it just feels like, hey, we're turning a corner. Like, not like this is a natural evolution of where the story's been going. Yeah, I just, I feel like like pairing up um, Archie and Betty, though, regardless of how we got here, 
also serves like they were both kind of exploring things that are very different from who they are. Like Archie was going out with this New York socialite and then Betty was who's, you know, the good girl is getting involved with this guy who is now a serpent and is the son of the serpent leader. Um, and now having them kind of return to each other, it's kind of like almost rejecting, not rejecting, but just being like, okay, like we're done doing all this stuff that, you know, might've put us at risk. But then I guess they would just, they would notice at that point that they've, they're already in too deep. Like it's not like the black hood's going to disappear from their lives because they kind of cut these, these things off. But at the same time, I don't think that they're going to be end game. I, so I, I do feel like bughead would eventually happen again or something. I, I kind of think you're right. I feel like there's like a, I feel like the way that they treat their relationship, it seems like we're going to come back to it. But I, I feel like it makes sense because of where the two of their relationships end. Not only not only is this person, right, someone familiar, someone you're already close with, and like you said, they're kind of like the opposite of the person that they are already with, but it's also that the person that they're looking across from now, right, that they're glamorizing, could conceivably give them what they want, right? Like... Betty had the problems with Jug because she couldn't be a part of his world. Well, Archie's a part of this world already. They're already a part of the same world. And they already have a lot in common. They already have a connection. And, you know, Archie wants somebody to love. Like, he wants closeness and intimacy with someone. And that's something that Veronica couldn't give him and that Betty wanted from him from the start. Yeah, exactly. Like, he, he, like when they make eye contact, her face is more like, oh... It's Archie again. And his face is like, wow, I just wanted somebody to love me. And I already had that. And I, you know, rejected it in the moment. Went with Veronica. And now here she is again. Um, But they also didn't make it clear at that moment that they both knew that the other person had broken up with their significant other. So I don't know the level of, I don't know the level of complicity there. That's a good point. I feel like we assume that they knew. But I have a feeling that in the next episode they're going to like yeah. discuss it like as if they hadn't yeah. known before. I didn't think about that, but I think you're right. I don't think that they would have known. How could they? Yeah. I mean, they probably you know? just went home to cry and weren't really talking to people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's an interesting thought. So I feel like we've talked a good amount about the main plot. I do want to quickly address um, some of the subplots that we've had building that we got a little attention for this time around. Um, we got a development in the like, Cheryl Josie, um, you know, tropey, like, I don't know. It, it's, it's like a very tropey horror kind of thing. Um, but I guess we finally got our confirmation, right? Like, I think we all had the suspicion last episode that Cheryl had a sexual interest in Josie. And I think the locker room scene that we got this time around, like, definitely, at least to me, cements that, right? Like, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and we also, I think that before Josie wasn't, aware of what was happening and it's not that she's put two and two together and knows that all these things that she got in her locker were from cheryl but she is definitely noticing because she seemed really uncomfortable with how quick and forthcoming cheryl was with this lotion for these knots in her back that only cheryl can see um josie was just kind of like don't touch me that's weird and then we have to juxtapose that how um, the janitor guy who I thought was the creep the whole time um, just walks in and then Cheryl's just like, oh, my God, like you with your male gaze and your privilege, like get out of the locker. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, maybe you should get out of the locker. 
You're creepy. Yeah, so I thought that was... I I actually want to say I did call that thing about the janitor. I thought that he was going to be a red herring. I I actually... don't, I don't think we've seen the last of him I, either because of the end of the way it played yeah, out. Yeah, I was, but, I was, Jess was um, watching it with me, and I said, uh, I said, uh, I mean, this, it's a red herring, but it could be the red herring could be a red herring. Like, right, yeah. I, I think, I really do think that my shining uh, nod with him, I think, is going to come, I think that's going to come to fruition somehow. But, so, I, I wanted to ask you guys, because, like, I got the feeling that, like, Josie was very uncomfortable at first, and then, like, right before the janitor came in, like, I had it with, um, I, I always watch it with, uh, subtitles on, because, like, I, I, sometimes I write down, like, some of the dialogue and stuff, and, uh, it, like, just the way that she looked, and the way that th- it said, like, she, like, I don't remember if it said that she groaned or moaned, but I feel like it looked like she was kind of, like, relenting to it, and then it was, like, that break of like the janitor coming in and then she rebuffs her did you guys read that that same way or did you feel like it was total repulsion from her no i was i was looking at her face the whole time and it just seemed to me that at the beginning she was just a little confused as to why cheryl was so adamant about rubbing lotion on her back and then it was kind of because she was so quick about it that like I feel like in that moment she started to put two and two together. She's like, oh god, like this girl like really wants to touch me right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, she and she was even like just like her body language. She was all like, I don't know, like like, I don't know, like yeah, like how do you describe this like that I'm doing right now? Like kind of just. Um. So so. Gabby's lurching forward, and she's got her arms, like, kind of wrapped around her chest, like, uh, hopefully, like, maybe like you're cold? I don't it's, know. It's, it's sort of like a... <laughs> so, so imagine Cheryl on my back, and then, I mean, she's kind of like, she. I mean, they're in their towels, so I felt like she was just trying to cover herself and, like, remove herself at the same time yeah. from Cheryl's presence. And that's like when the janitor yeah. comes in. Yeah, I think I think like the, you know, the moan groan thing is probably more just like if... If Josie is, like, stressed and is as tense as, you know, Cheryl seems to think she is, and even if she's not... Which, I mean, yeah. she is, right, from the last Like, episode. if somebody grabs you to, like, rub your shoulders or your back, like, if you're that tense, like, that's that's gonna suck. So, like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily know that she was into it, more that she was sort of caught off guard and, uh, you know, it probably, like, didn't feel great. I just couldn't tell. Like, I, I really couldn't tell if... Like, I guess the question I'm asking, right, is, like, if the janitor hadn't opened the door and broken that moment, would she have stopped it because she was, un- like, I really, because it felt like she was uncomfortable, and then I couldn't tell if this moment was what broke it, because then the fact that afterwards she goes to do it again, and she's like, no, I don't know, like, it, it was it was a weird moment for me. I think she would have stopped it, especially because she had already been a little snappy at Cheryl before. Like how mm-hmm. she was gonna go with um, the five thousand dollars she was being offered. That was later. That was later. Yeah, that was later when they're they're at pops. Um, that's like that's yeah. That was later on in the episode when uh, when they're at the booth and and but again yeah that that feeds into the same conversation right? Like Cheryl gets all weird and possessive about her doing this gig. Mm-hmm. And then she's just like like just not understanding why Cheryl's getting so upset about it. Because, you know, yeah. supposedly Cheryl's just doing this because she wants her friend to succeed. But then when she's like, oh, I can succeed this way, she's like, oh, God, but it's not my way. And in, in a way, like, that would fit Cheryl's character, like, without being interested um, in a sexual way 
in Josie, but it just, it, it does yeah. come off like really creepy. Like Josie's like, stop. And then she just goes and, um, um, throws her, her milkshake. Her milkshake on the floor. Yeah. Like has FP pick it up. And then FP's just like trying to be Zen FP. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to get another one on the house and just like smiling. And I'm like, that, and that moment was like tense as fuck because like, I love that. It's like, she gets mad and then she looks at him. He looks at her and she's like, just, she's like a cat and just like pushes it off the table. And she's like, what a dick. And then she calls him a plebe. It's like, oh my God. Oh, and when she's up like, a dead brother. Yeah, she's like, um, clean it up like you clean like my brother's blood. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's like, come on. <laughs> okay. Yeah, very, very intense. Um, and then, yeah, I guess just the last thing I want to touch on is kind of the Riverdale Reaper and the updates we got around this story, how that plays into the Black Hood. And, um, and then I guess we'll, we'll call it an episode. So, you know, we kind of get that moment early on where like, <laughs> Bughead is just like, hey, will you guys just like be us for an episode? And they're like, um, okay. Like, so we'll go check out the devil's house while you guys plan a party. And, um, <laughs> so we get this flashback scene. We get walked through the murder, essentially. Um, you know, and we kind of just get the entire story here, right? That, like, we had this con man, traveling preacher, shows up, shoots the family, but the oldest son has survived, and Oh, it's the creepy janitor. Yeah, and I just love how every time that they find new information, instead of thinking what they should do with this information, they just run and tell the person, <laughs> like, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> gotcha. And it's, you're not like... Yeah, it was like, they were like super aggressive, too. Like, they're like, hey, we fucking know who you are. And it's like, you don't even know that he's done anything. Like, you have a maybe kind of suspicion. And then you fucking chase the guy and tackle him. And it's like, if, if he had been the Black Hood, I feel like I would have, like... Had I been the Black Hood, I would have just shot them and then left town. Like, you know, like, it's just their plans. But then again, like, they are 16, so I get it. But right, it's yeah. just so They're infuriating not- to watch every time. Because they do it every time. Like, they don't wait until they have all the pieces in the chessboard. I feel like the one who's better at that is Betty. But even her, like, sometimes just... I mean, her whole Sheriff Keller thing got completely out of hand. And then she's just telling this guy, like, you are the Black Hood. Like, blah, blah, blah. Because, of course, she gets caught, like, in his house. Looking through his shit. Yeah. Like, why are you doing this? Like, had you just given yourself a couple more days, you could have executed this. Yeah, and the, I, yeah, but that was, I thought that was actually a really fun role reversal, because it was like, or not necessarily a role reversal, but it was the first time that we saw um, Betty and Veronica have that kind of dynamic, where, like, Veronica was, because she's always, like, the one in charge, and, like, not... You know, like, I mean, she's in control of every situation, usually. And for her to, like, have that dynamic with Betty where she's just like, you need to, like, relax and, like, let me do my thing. And then she's just like, nope, I'm going rogue. Well, and the (laughs) fact that Veronica was the one who was right the whole time was also, you know, groundbreaking. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. A little little different. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so I I was surprised by this, you know, because I I definitely – I knew that we were going to learn more about the janitor, but – him connecting to the story in this way I thought was really interesting. Um, and then, you know, we we get kind of the red herring potential thing of, is the Reaper the Black Hood? What's going on here? We know he's not, right? The Reaper, we, we get the story from him that, like, he got justice. He's never thought to go out and seek it because a bunch of men came and took him and they went and found the guy and murdered him and buried him in the fucking woods. And, uh, and like... 
That's like the craziest, like small town justice shit. Like I love where he's like, no one wrote. There was never reported. It was never investigated. Justice had been served. The town wanted blood for blood. It's just, but I mean, then again, that's also but knowing Riverdale. It's like it's also just like his side of the story. Like we don't know if that's the truth, but at the same time, because it's Riverdale, I think that it is. I do too, and also like he passes Archie's eye test thing, <laughs> right? Where it's like he's he's not the hood, and like I keep thinking, like couldn't the hood just like have worn contact? Yeah, but I, I don't know. I feel like they focused on this so hard. I, like unless it is supposed to be just these like oh fucking bullshit. I had red eyes the whole time. Like. <laughs> I just feel like, 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 I know the, the Black Hood didn't wear contacts, but if I were Archie or if I were a Sheriff Keller or whatever, I just feel like nobody has brought up the point, like, oh, like, he could have just had contacts knowing that that's the only part of his body that's visible when he has his hood on. So yeah. you might want to, you know, I don't know. They're just going off of this thing where he dismissed everybody because they don't have, like, these piercing blue eyes, like, green eyes that the, the Black Hood has. But, I mean, I don't really know where they were going with, you know, the guy reopening his old wounds, like, looking at the picture of, like, his family or, like, if he's going to have any involvement with looking for the Black Hood or not or... I really do think so. I think that they... I think they've built him up that he's going to be a relevant character moving forward. And I thought so last episode, too. Like, just the way that they played with him. I was like, I really don't think it's going to just turn out that, oh, it's the creepy janitor. It's like, no, that's too easy. And I I definitely think him having skin in the game now in some way, like, I have a feeling like, you know, his whole thing of like, oh, old wounds were open, right? Like you said, I feel like he might start hunting the Black Hood because he's just like, he's killing people. Like, he's killing innocent people for his own weird, twisted agenda, and, like, I lived through that, I know what that's like, and I'm gonna go fucking kill this guy, you know? And, like, he said, the town demanded blood for blood, like, maybe it's time Riverdale hunts the hood. I bet, I bet we see him die because he goes out and tries to do it himself. Like, if not- Yeah, no, I, I totally think he's gonna be the Shining. He's gonna show up, save the kids, and if die. If not next episode, like, here soon. He's gonna be like Bob in Stranger Things, like that character. Yep. Yeah, I really do think he's going to be that kind of character who's, like, you know, jumps on the sword and saves the kids. And, like, maybe he gets his blow in or whatever so he can feel, like, you know, resolution or whatever. Like, I'm sure he'll have some kind of satisfying arc for us. But, like, I think that's definitely the role I see him fitting into. Yeah, and he'll definitely, like, I would like if he jumps in to save Josie because... I think that's, like, the character that he has, like, the most connection with. I wonder if he saves her from Cheryl or something. Oh, God, probably. Although Cheryl's doing all this to pay back Josie and the rest of the girls for saving her from the creep yeah. that roofied her. So I don't, I don't really know, like... To be fair, though, right? It's, like, all of the pussycats saved her, and she totally fucked over the other two and was just like, I want Josie. So it's like, I don't, I don't know that she's necessarily playing with the full deck, you know? Like... You know what I don't like? I don't like that they used Cheryl's character to address, you know, a real issue, which is, you know, getting roofied at parties and how, like, if you don't have friends around, like, anything could happen to you and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then used the same character and turned her into, like, a possible creep. I mean, we haven't, I feel like we haven't gotten 100% confirmation on this. I mean, she hasn't. For all you know, she was just sketching, and it wasn't actually her who did everything else. Although we, although we feel confident that that's what it is, but it's just I just hate that they use the same character for that. Like I think it tampers a little bit with the image that they were trying to set up 
about, you know, sexual assault. It's like, oh, like, now maybe she's going to assault people back. Like, I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to see her do that, but I don't I don't necessarily agree with you either that um, that I think it cheapens the message because I don't think that the message should be like, oh, well, don't sexually assault nice people. You know, it's like it doesn't matter that Cheryl's a monster. Like, you shouldn't sexually assault people, right? Like, I feel like that message is still – you know, it comes through even if she's awful. If, if she falls into the cycle of abuse and then tries to do something to Josie, that just makes her a monster, too. I just feel like it's a delicate topic, and depending on how they execute this thing with Cheryl, which, again, I don't think we're too clear on where that's going, like, it could dilute that, that message. Like, I would rather have yeah. another character, you know, be that, that they're trying to do that. I don't know what it is yet. But yeah, yeah, it's 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 similar to, uh, you know, we we had said that Tony and Josie would be a really good example of trying to get that representation into the show, you know, the the women loving women. Um, But yeah, I think I think what you're what you're saying really does add to sort of what I was getting at last episode, uh, when I was talking about how it's a little iffy how they're going to represent this, you know, if it's a relationship, all Cheryl knows is, you know, power and control. And to her, that's love, you know, if that is going to veer into sexual assault. And I don't, I don't think it will. I don't think Cheryl is that kind of person. Yeah. I think if anything, it'll be more emotional abuse. Yeah. I think we will kind of skate the line of a really shitty power. Yeah. Power dynamic. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you're right. Um, I will say, I guess it's just like, I think this is them reminding us that Cheryl's a villain. Yeah. You know, I think we got a little too comfortable with Cheryl as like one of the gang and like, sure, maybe she has redeeming qualities, but like, she's not a good person. She's a, she's a mean, self-serving person. And like, she has moments and flickers of kindness, but like, this is Cheryl. She's a controller. She's an abuser. That's what she does. Um, she fucks with people and she plays them for her own ends. And, uh... Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think we're going to veer into some very uncomfortable territory here. Even more uncomfortable but, than having to watch um, Betty's Serpent Dance, because my God. Well, and and we didn't uh, address how um, FP um, decided to stay with the Serpents because of um, the Penny situation, oh, trying to get yeah, Doug yeah, yeah, out of the hook. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Um, I thought that was really well handled, actually. I, I really like, I forget the name of the actor, but, um. Uh, that's, that's Skeet Ulrich. He's another, uh, old teen heartthrob. Thank you. Yeah, he's a, he's a great actor. And I think what he brings to the table with FP is, like, awesome. You know, just his whole, I, I love that whole, like, fucking play on the Godfather thing. You know, you broke my heart, Jughead, and he kisses his forehead. Just him, like, resigned to that old life that he was really trying to get away from. You know, he said he was going to AA, and then he fucking takes a bunch of drinks, and, you know, he is dragged back down into it to try and get his son out of it. Yeah, and I, I sort of wanted to bring this up. I, I, at first, I had a problem with FP's announcement, but then, like, it, it tells us the reveal, you know, it gives us the reveal, and I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sure. a lot of sense. The, the problem I had with this whole thing is that at the beginning, Jughead says he's going to go talk to Mayor McCoy. And then all of a sudden, the serpents are all behind him, except Tallboy. And that didn't really make a lot of sense to me. When we talk about things that were unearned, I, I took the time to write down, this feels unearned. Because not an episode ago, it was at the very least half and half. Right, yeah. Like, uh, we had, not that long ago, we had a conversation with Tony about how a bunch of the serpents didn't trust him because he made a deal with the cops. Um, I just, 
I feel like they did at some point, I just don't remember how, they addressed a little bit the fact that because the cop thing worked out, they were like okay with it. And then it's always this guy being all like, uh, no, screw this. Like, I don't like Jughead. And it's really because he's just um, teaming up with the ghoulies or whatever, which I felt or like they were completely gone from this episode too. Um, Yo, they're all in jail still. Yeah, but like, like the, I feel like the, the people who were there are in jail, but there's like not a single one of them left. Like, they didn't even mention them at all. It's like, oh yeah, these people are just away. Oh, I don't know. Well, I bet that was like, that was most of the leadership. That was the thing, was like a lot of the leadership was there for the race, and the dude who got arrested was the boss, you know? So it's like, I feel like they're pretty kneecapped. Like, I'm sure there's a out there, but I, a lot of their um, infrastructure seems to have been taken down with them. It's just, I feel like any time that we have anything serpent related, it's not. I don't know, like, they want to keep the mystery about how the serpents work, but at the same time, I just feel like some things just get lost in translation or just how they explain it, so... Yeah, I I agree with you. It wasn't really clear what's going to happen with the serpents or what it means that FP is back and that he took over. They kind of just addressed what that means for Doughead and his life and the fact that his dad is going to go back to the gang. Um, You know, we didn't really see if Tallboy or whatever was now gonna be fp's buddy again or i don't know like i don't know if that's something for the next episode or what it is yeah probably i i would imagine that that dynamic is gonna come up again but then again i don't know like F- uh, tall boy made a point in the beginning where he said i don't have a problem with your father i have a problem with you and so i wonder if he's fine with fp being back in charge because fp's not trying to make deals with the mayor and call cops on people and stuff like jughead is you know? With the fact that Tallboy wasn't too respectful of his kid. I don't know. Yeah, and I'm sure FP's not going to like that. Yeah, doesn't seem like yeah, that guy. And to that point, like, you know, Tallboy goes to Jughead and says, you know, I need this endorsement from you. Like, if, if yeah. you know, uh, the FP's kid is a serpent and that, that endorsement carries weight. And, and I said, you know, when we went through, when Jughead went through the, the, the gauntlet or whatever, all that and only now does Jughead's name carry weight and like. Well, no, I don't think it was only now. I think it was that like he had been kind of like one foot in, one foot out. Yeah, but what what I'm getting at is uh, this particular scene, uh, you know, Jughead coming in and, and trying to convince the, the serpents and Tallboy to make this deal with the mayor or, or start the talks or whatever. Right. It it gave it sort of showed what I think that ideal was and all of a sudden Jughead was this great serpent's leader and it like it yeah, it felt unearned and came out of nowhere. I don't I don't agree that it came out of nowhere. I don't think you're wrong to say that it's unearned, but I think like I think all the stuff that Gabby said, like, we have been building to this in some way and he's obviously like you said, he's had support of at least fifty percent, right? And I think the scene where he challenges Tallboy and he like literally calls him a little bitch and is like, you know, like he, he kind of comes out and really like, like makes a statement of like, look, I'm the leader. And like, maybe that swayed some people, you know, like I, there was a display of like confidence and power there of like, I have a plan and I'm trying to do something here. And like, and I need you guys to follow me. Whereas like Tallboy is talking behind his back and like he said kind of being a, you know like he like he is like trying to undermine him but not really being an authority figure he's bitching about him he is like saying oh look he's fucking making deals with cops or whatever but he's like well i'm trying to do something and you're just fucking mm. bitching 
So, like, fuck you and get out of my way. And then, like, not to mention, Tony also does stand up and, again, puts Tallboy down and says, like, yeah, like, who else is with him? Mm -hmm. So, like, that could just be an in-the-moment thing of, like, yeah, people got swayed because, oh, look, other leaders in the community are standing up and being behind him, like Tony or Sweet Pea, right? Because it seems like a lot of the younger serpents are behind Jug. Well, and the thing is that, like, even though Jug didn't know about Archie calling the cops, in the end, the plan did work when it was just Tallboy doing his thing. Like, they were doing, like, a weird merger with the ghoulies. Yeah, they were going to be giving up power and, like, working with people that have been their enemies forever. Jug had, yeah, he worked with cops, but they're all fucking arrested and they're in charge again. So, like... Yeah, and I think that, especially for the younger generation, they're also very pro, like, this idea... Um, of Jughead's where he wants to bring the South Side like back to, up to the surface kind of, um, yeah. you know, because wanted to meet with the mayor not to like just to kind of keep them clean and, and give the younger serpents the chance to like live a normal life and not have to like, you know, be around gangs and all this stuff because at the end of yeah, the day yeah, I felt like in the first season the serpents were always like the antagonists and now, now that we have the ghoulies it's like, oh, um, the serpents aren't actually that bad. They're just like the kids that are like outcasts of society because of their, um, they have like a lower income ratio, whatever the hell, like whatever yeah. separates them from the North side. But it's not that they necessarily want to be dealing drugs and doing stuff. That's mostly the other gang. They just kind of do what they have to do to survive. So right. th- I feel like that, um, threat of trying to humanize the serpents is good. And I like the fact that the younger kids, did want to support Jughead and that. So for that reason, I do like, it does make sense. But at the same time, it's just as every other scene in this episode, it was rushed. And that's why it didn't seem earned because it was like a five second thing where everybody was like, Oh yeah, screw you tall boy. Like we're not even going to talk about why screw you, but screw you. Cause Tony said, yeah. vote Jughead. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And that's why I think the, it, it doesn't necessarily feel earned, but I feel like, the threads have been laid here enough where, like, it makes sense that it played out that way, but that doesn't mean that it was satisfying. Yeah, exactly. And that's the problem. We had so many moments that should have been big moments that were just not satisfying. To me, like, all of the best moments of the episode were the things that were, like, fairly inconsequential. You know, the scene between Jug and FP where they go on a bike ride and they talk about, you know, he wants him to have a better life than him and everything like that. That was a great character moment, you know, and it's... It's all the major stuff that was supposed to be the oh my god moments that were just kind of fell flat for me. Or Alice Cooper, the ex serpent, showing up at the serpent's place as like amazing. Anytime that she does anything like that, I'm just like, this is what I'm here for. This is the show I thought I was getting. <laughs> I I wrote in all caps in my notes. I was like, oh my god, the queen arrives. <laughs> that that other episode where um the lodges are throwing their little party thing or whatever that was, and then they had uh-huh. just released how she was a serpent and all this stuff, and then Hal wants to leave her at home and she's like, Oh yeah, okay, I'll stay, and this just shows up like 30 minutes later, dressed in serpent skin, like just Yeah. Just yeah. bomb. In, that was amazing. In her Beyonce ass dress. Exactly. Yeah. In her, in her fucking mid-40s, like, own it. Yeah, no, I love it. And it's like, Alice is a character I increasingly love to hate. Like, she's definitely in a Cheryl area for me where I'm like, I enjoy her because of, like, the friction that she brings to the show, you know? And um, her whole thing with FP this episode of, like, teasing at their former romance or whatever, 
was like very like, all right, yeah, I'm into this. Like, exactly. Like how, how she just decides to go pick him up um, uh, out of, like from prison with Betty, who just asked for the car. And then she just comes along just yeah. to deliver that line. And just to talk shit the whole time. Yeah. And uh, I love that scene where she goes to confront him at Pops later on. And, you know, and just that moment where FP's like, we'll leave him at home. And he's like, ooh, I was like, oh, man, he's he loves her. Like, he's definitely got it for her still. And Jesus Christ, yeah, that line at the prison where she's just like, oh, is it true what they say about men who come out of prison, that they're super sexually frustrated? It's just like, oh, cool, thanks, Mom! What the hell? Betty was like, why did I let her come, basically? But, you know, another thing, like, because Riverdale, I heard somewhere, like, Riverdale is supposed to be, like, what fills the void left by Gossip Girl. And then in Gossip Girl, I don't know if you watched, but it was around for so long. But I feel like even if you didn't watch, you kind of know what happened in Gossip Girl. But they already had that thing where, like, you know, Dan and Serena are dating. And then, like, their parents used to date. And then they have, like, this brother in common. And then the parents are dating, too. And it's just like, if this happens here. I'm just going to lose my mind. Like, well, no. I mean, it's already happened in Riverdale, though, with the... The Lodges and the Andrews, you know, with like Hiram and um and Fred, ha- or not Hiram, Jesus Christ, Hermione and Fred had that romance in the first season, you know, and then immediately afterwards. And you know how they're bringing in like the, like Alice Cooper's lost son or whatever. I, I don't know if that's Hal's kid. Like they could twist that and make it FP's, you know? I think it's FP's kid. Probably. FP's. Yeah. I mean, from the guy yep. they casted, like, he's really blonde and stuff, so it just makes it look like he's a full-fledged Cooper. But then again, apparently the Coopers are blossoms, so what do I know? I, I, yeah, I, I have a real deep feeling, because, like, when he said that thing, when he's like, she says, let's not make, like, let our kids make the same mistakes that we did, and he's like, they weren't all mistakes. And I'm just like, what the fuck does that mean? Well, and also there was that other, there was that scene, I think it was in season one or something, but it's close to when Alice comes clean to Betty about how like what happened was that she got pregnant and then um, Hal wanted her to abort and whatever but in that story when she's telling it to somebody else FP is in the story like when when Hal and Alice are fighting mm-hmm. about the like her getting an abortion or whatever I don't remember if it was FP who was telling it or her but like who like Whoever was telling it in that scene, FP was there too. I have to like look back and check on that. But like I'm 100% sure that happened because I was like, oh my God, they're going to pull a gossip girl. Huh. But I, yeah, I don't remember that. I, I I remember what you're talking about. I don't remember the spe- specifics of it. But now that you say that, I totally remember there being an FP Alice thread. Yeah, I don't know if it was like, I don't know if they were making reference to like recital or like a, some performance it was or some. The, the Jubilee? The yeah yeah the town jubilee or something yeah and it was like FP hearing them fight and now I don't know if it was FP telling Jughead or something like that but it's just like FP knows about this situation so just the fact that he knows whereas like this would be a um, a secret from everybody else who they went to school with that's like the part that I'm like okay like why did FP know then you know yeah if if what I'm remembering is what you're talking about it was what it was basically when like we the audience started to get the hint that Alice was a serpent it was it was it was FP and Alice talking outside I think the jubilee at like his truck or something but yeah whatever it was it was just a reference to um like Hal and her fighting and then in another scene, she explains that, like, they were fighting, like, to Betty that, like, you know, her and her dad would get in fights because of this. And that I think that's, like, when she tells him that she tells her that she, like, had the kid anyways. 
Like she went to where she sent, um, what's her face, Polly, mm. you know? So it, it, it was like yeah. a very loose yeah. thread. But at the same time, my whole questioning the whole time was like, I know that nobody else that they went to high school with knows. So why out of all the people, F.P. Jones knows that this happened? Yeah, well, and I guess that is, you know, maybe just that the history that they were close because she used to be a serpent, but it could hint to something with their romantic history. So, yeah, I, I think you're onto something there for sure. But yeah, so I mean, I think I think we've hit all the major beats. So uh, do either of you have any closing thoughts before we, we wrap this one up? I just want to say that if I am right, I want you in whatever episode this happens to do the same thing you just did with a little buzzer and say that I got it right. <laughs> Hashtag Abby was right. I, if that happens, you have to come back so that right. I can do that for you. Okay. I'll do that. All right, great. Um, so yeah, Gabby, thank you again so much for, for joining us here on this episode. You were a fantastic guest. I hope you had fun. Yeah, I did. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you are you are welcome back literally anytime. If the rest of the Nerd League doesn't want to talk to you, you can come on our show and talk about Riverdale anytime you want. Uh, so one more... Th- I don't know for how long I'm going to be able to stay on this Riverdale, you know, wagon, but... <laughs> Probably through inertia, I'm just going to be here till the end and hate myself more as we go. But I, I, I mean, isn't that isn't that part of the fun though? Yeah, it really is, it really is. Exactly. So, uh, one more time for the uh, the listeners at home, can you just tell them where they can find you and uh, all your content on the internet? So you can go to thenerdleague.com for our website, but if you want our social media handles, all of them are at the Nerd League. We have Twitter and Instagram, but Facebook is Nerd League Online. But it's also the one we use the least, so we're more fun on Instagram and Twitter. Cool, cool. Um, what about, like, personal Twitter or anything like that? Um, so my personal Twitter is at G Vanwelli. So my last name spelled short V-A-N-W-E-L-I-E. So Cool. And we'll have that in the description down below for you if you're on SoundCloud or YouTube. If you're on iTunes, you're just going to have to rewind and listen to her spell it again. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Riverdale Review. Uh, Pops? Checks on the table. Why do you leave the money out in the open? That's not good. There's serpents all over this town. You're gonna just leave money on the table? This this Pops is an institution. You think someone's gonna rob from Pops? Fred Andrews was just shot. (laughs) This was just shot. (laughs) This was just shot. (laughs) This was just...